Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week, we have 3 to one go with Cosmo Macero, an interview with Fred Schock, Executive Director of the Head of the Charles Regatta, which is coming up this weekend, so be sure to attend. And in two minutes with Tom, Tom is talking Dem debate. First up, 3 to one go Let's talk about something important. Hello and welcome to 321 Go on OA On Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, culture, business, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321 Go, we talk about the millennial lifestyle and how it's getting more expensive because all those favorite apps you use aren't making enough money. And we talk to Katie Ross of the Newton-based American Consumer Credit Counseling. Finally, we talk about the return of poll denialism in the age of impeachment proceedings and with the 2020 elections looming. Joining me here on 321 Go is Kyan Isaacson. Hello. The official voice of OA on air. Kyan, it's good to be back with you for a, another week. I have a case of the Eagles today. Another segment. Yeah, we got, <laughs> we're having troubles here. Hey, I have an idea. Let's just get to it. There you go. All right. All right, Kyan, let's talk about the cost of living or... The subsidized cost of living. Great story in the Atlantic. It's expensive. About uh, what the writer calls the millennial lifestyle sponsorship. He's actually talking about Uber and Uber Eats and Lyft and an app called Seated and uh, Postmates. Postmates and, 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 and WeWork. All these um, disruption quite, tech kind of thing. Disruption tech, venture capital backed apps and services, which, by the way, I think are a tremendous enhancement to life, uh, and certainly for uh, for a certain lifestyle. If you really want to be helped along through every facet of your day, you can be helped along. Yeah, uh, it's and, all about making things easier, it, making and things more easier. convenient. And uh, t- we are, we live in a time of convenience. As I admittedly, I will now admittedly just kind of blanket issue. A stereotype. Millennials really love this stuff, right? <laughs> so, let's just stipulate that. Let's just. Uh, uh, but the the reality is, or the uh, the thesis is, well, number one, every one of these common th- these household name companies are maybe wildly popular, but also wildly underperforming, and in almost every case, not making money, and and in many cases, losing lots of money. Um, not generating profit. I was really surprised by that uh, uh, in this story. Uh, I knew about WeWork, obviously. Yeah, no, that's fa- made news. Fair enough. It, it's 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 not that surprising to me in that the life cycle of uh, a company achieving profitability can be can be surprisingly long. And if you run out of out of out of runway, meaning you know capital to burn through, then the, then, then then there's the end of the rope. Um, I don't think the, these common names that we've talked about are, are there yet, or even necessarily even close. But the point is, there becomes a stage where you need to change your business model. And what that simply means is raise the cost of these services, raise the prices. And, and this article says that a lot of millennials are in for a rude awakening because that subsidized life, you know, what is it? It's seated, pays you $25 to, 
use their app? Yeah, in the How store, they got, you got 30 bucks if, if you use their app to reserve your table. I've I, I've never used Seated, so I don't I don't know, but... Another um, one, which we, we use um, some of these meal delivery uh, kits, which I don't love. They overcomplicate the preparation of a meal, nonetheless. Um, great example. You, you sign up for that great deal. You get three meals for 50 bucks. Then you do it again. Then you do it again. And then you're like, oh, that was kind of cool. I'm not doing this forever, though. I know mm-hmm. how to cook now. Or you just kind of wander away, and you've spent four or 500 bucks, maybe, or 300 bucks with them, and that's nice. And then you go away and never come back as a customer. Yeah. And they have to go out and spend money to find another Cayenne or Cosmo as a customer. Doesn't work as a long-term business model, you know? No, and, you know, I think what they're trying to do is by incentivizing and bringing in customers and uh, they're playing a bit of a short game in terms of their branding and their marketing and hoping if they bring you through the door and that you become a customer, you will remain loyal. Um, I think what we see is a very transient generation now that uh, brand loyalty is not exactly what it used to be Um, but the biggest thing that I took away from looking at this is really the companies that are going to survive um, are going to find new ways to do this right they're going to reinvent themselves they're going to have to rebrand themselves they're going to have to figure out what works about what we're offering and what doesn't but to your point a lot of it's going to just come down to dollars and cents they are losing money uh, um, my, my favorite um, my favorite passage in this article uh, is, is is where the writer explains unit economics, um, which is it's a nice little crash course for me. It is. It is the simple explanation <laughs> of why companies aren't making money, and it's it, and it's the principle of unit economics. And he says normal people should think of it as, am I getting ripped off by these companies, or am I sort of ripping them off? Yeah, and the answer is you're, you're sort of ripping them off. So, like next time you get out of an Uber, you can look and say, "Thanks a lot, suckers!" Right? Because <laughs> it isn't just point A to point B. It can't be because you can do that in a taxi cab, but the experience is very different. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about from the moment you order the Uber to fall, all that stuff you do to get the Uber is part of a, I don't know, a calming, better way of of, of getting a ride across town. And that's and that's because you can track it. That should be priced into the experience, and your average downtown seven dollar and fifty cent Uber ride, you know, it, it, it is probably worth thirty percent or more than that. It's a deal, and and it's a deal in most cases until they um, price gouge because you know there's a whole thing. Oh, uh, <laughs> you mean peak time pricing, whatever, yeah. or, or when when it's uh, yeah, trains have broken down and yeah. yeah. So um, the, uh, the piece is by cool. Derek Thompson in the, in the Atlantic in the Ideas section. Um, the millennial urban lifestyle is about to get more expensive. Uh, pretty, pretty interesting stuff. Good luck. All right. Thanks, Kayan. <laughs> All right. Up next, we're talking to Katie Ross from American Consumer Credit Counseling. Katie is the Education and Development Manager at ACCC, uh, which provides bankruptcy counseling, debt management, housing and student loan counseling, financial education, and a lot of other great financial services. Katie, it's great to have you here on OA On Air. Thanks, Cosmo. It's great to be here. Now, recently, uh, ACCC did a, a pretty interesting survey on the gig economy or the side hustle economy. 
Uh, and the findings are pretty in interesting. Love you to talk about that. Tell me about it. Sure. Uh, the surveys we implement are usually focused on a money-related theme. With this survey, we chose to focus on second incomes and how many consumers either have one or are considering one. Now, let me just pause you for a second there because a second income, when I was, you know, years ago, or, you know, used to be simply a moonlighting job, you know, working on the deli counter, pumping gas. Today, second incomes, the gig economy, the side hustle economy has become such an important part of the way people um, support themselves. Some people assemble multiple side gigs to support themselves. But in this case, you're talking about specifically people that use a side hustle to support uh, their other income. That's right, Cosmo. For those consumers, we also took a close look at why they were turning to side jobs, whether it was just for some extra cash or to help pay bills. Now, why did you want to do this topic? Well, as you know, the cost of living is steadily increasing, and not all salaries can cover expenses. We found that a lot of consumers are struggling to make ends meet, so are turning to side gigs to make some extra money. Every time I read a poll or a survey, I'm always looking for the surprise finding, the counterintuitive thing, the thing that I didn't know, um, anything like that in your, uh, in your findings. There actually was. Out of the respondents, 65% said that they have a second income. Less than 2% used the money from their second income to pay off student loans. And the majority, about 74%, make up to $200 per week. And of those that don't have a second income, 58% are looking for a side hustle. Okay, so that, that, that's, that's pretty fascinating. Number one, just right off the top, big student loan, student debt crisis in America, your side hustle money is not, is not how you're paying that off. Number two, as little as, I'm not saying $200 a week is not a lot of money, or it's, it's, but as little as $200 a week as $200 a week makes a difference for a lot of households you surveyed um, uh, that are generating uh, income through some kind of a side gig or, or second income. What are some of the reasons? So we know that student debt's not one of them in this case, but what are some of the reasons that most respondents decide, hey, I need some kind of a side gig? Sure. Um, almost half, 43% of the respondents said that they have a second income to supplement existing expenses that their full-time job can't cover. The other two popular responses were to pay off credit card debt, which was 22%. You knew that's coming. And to earn extra spending money, 14%. Yeah. I mean, I think those are the two things. It's like, you know what? i gotta, I got to pay down these credit card balances. I need some cash, and, you know. Um, and, and a lot of the gig economy opportunities, it's like money right into your debit card. Uh, so that, 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 that makes sense to me. We're talking to Katie Ross from American Consumer Credit Counseling. Um, Katie, what, uh, how much time in a given week, if you even surveyed this, are, are people willing to commit to, all right, you know, uh, some kind of a second income opportunity? How, how, how many hours in a week are they committing to it? Um, we found that about half of the respondents spend up to 10 hours per week at their side job, and almost a quarter, 22% surveyed, said that they spend more than 20 hours a week. Wow. That's a lot. It is. People, are, they don't call it a side hustle for nothing. People are hustling uh, to make that second income. That's right. All right, Katie, I know ACCC does a lot of these um, uh, studies and polls, provides a tremendous amount of uh, financial education. The Talking Sense blog, ConsumerCredit.com are some of your resources. What are some of the programs uh, that you offer in terms of counseling, financial counseling, debt management to consumers that need help? 
Sure. ACCC provides um, financial management and credit counseling, debt management plans, bankruptcy counseling, housing counseling, student loan counseling, and we provide community education. And you're a 501c3 nonprofit. We are. All right. Katie Ross, American Consumer Credit Counseling, thank you so much for joining us on OA On Air. Thank you, Cosmo. All right. All right, Kyan, let's talk about polling or the politics of polling or poll denialism. Here's a couple of poll headlines. First, the Washington Times survey says voters fear for the American way of life, but they don't blame it on Trump. Um, and then you've got the now, uh, I wouldn't say infamous, but you've got this uh, uh, highly cited Fox News poll record support for Trump impeachment, which set the president off on a multi-day tweet storm. Uh, and then uh, a piece in it from NBC from just the other day, poll denialism makes a comeback as impeachment in the 2020 elections loom. So there's sort of a lot to un unpack here, as they say. The notion that polls scientifically done or not or, or, or properly executed can't be wrong is is wrong, right? And just think about uh, Hillary Clinton in New Hampshire when she absolutely, everyone had her winning and absolutely she did not win New Hampshire. Um, mm -hmm. And there are many other examples. Yet we seem to be in a, in a, uh, uh, at a moment in time um, where, 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 po where polling is, is subject to, to real attack and scrutiny, particularly from the president, depending on the day of the week and which, which direction the wind is blowing. So the interesting thing about polling for people that aren't familiar is so much of it comes down to the wording, too. And it's really worth, when you're reading a poll, taking a look at how questions are worded. Um, if it's, you know, whether or not you're most likely to vote, inclined to vote, whether or not you lean a certain way is different than how you identify, um, which is the MSNBC story focuses in on that a little bit, sort of the idea of this was about where people were leaning or how their sentiment, not exactly how they, you know, were categorized per se as Democrat, Republican, or independent. Um, behind a poll is what pollsters call the cross tabs, which is where like the really fun and interesting uh, stuff lives too, that you can kind of really dig down and find out more about who people that are responding like how they really feel about any number of things can be drilled down based on these 15 questions. I think the problem that we saw in 2016 and that we're going to continue to see is that in order to have outcomes from a poll, you need people to respond to the poll. Uh, and people are getting tired of people calling their cell phones because a lot of pollsters now have access to cell phone lists and people have don't have house numbers anymore yeah and you have saying, to i mean it's, yeah. it's, it's difficult to access enough of a sample enough people and you need a big enough sample and who know you know it that can easily be skewed um you know but they do try and get a representative sample you also don't know there might be people that are like huh, i'm gonna have fun with this person and answer questions in a completely wrong way sure and if you get enough people that do that because they're bored on tuesday night and you called them right after dinner that's what they're doing. Um, so I think that they are still a good source of information, but we can't live and die by them. Yeah. 
Yet candidates do that all the time. The president seems to do that. When I, I get a kick the out of his— president doesn't want it suits him. But that's well, that's, that's it. I get a kick out of his, his selective embrace of, uh, of certain media. You know, I mean, Fox News Channel commentators generally lean his way. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I am very respectful in, uh, uh, of, of the Fox News news reporting operation, so I'm not talking about that. But, but they're, the, the network— skews heavy Trump, particularly in his commentary. And he counts yet, on that. Yet he, and, and, he, and he counts on that, and he uh, embraces that. Yet and criticizes it when it doesn't. When it doesn't serve him. I mean, he, he attacked their poll so um, forcefully. It was, it, it, you'd think he was talking about CNN mm-hmm. or the New York Times. He attacked the New York Times for citing a Fox News poll. Yes. That, that particular poll. That poll um, that said 51% of the country supports impeachment. Supports impeachment. We should. Um, so yeah, so and, and he and he talked about the the good old era of Fox News Channel, which was what a couple of months ago. Is that what he's talking about? I mean, like a week ago. A week ago. Um, so he's very selective in how he um, uh, is critical of the polling and analysis being done of his performance and his, and his popularity. This guy, lo- he. He loves being popular, and if you're telling him that he's not popular, it's a problem. Well, yes, that's a that's a whole other segment that we could uh, have a full discussion about. But I think what after the 2016 elections, when everybody pegged Hillary Clinton to be the winner, um, and she she wasn't, and that happens. Um, the way pundits even talk about polls now has changed um, because people recognize that. In 2016, they got it wrong. And it wasn't just a couple got it wrong, or most of them. I think everybody got that wrong. And it sort of means we all have to take a step back and say, what do we use as a guidepost now? Um, And again, I think polling is good for that to inform, but we can't. It's just not the be-all, end-all. All right, Cheyenne. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for this week's edition of 321 Go. Our program is recorded in Studio 10A, just off the historic Tip O'Neill Room at our studios in Government Center, downtown Boston. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Masseri. That's it for 321 Go. Up next, an interview with Fred Schock talking all things head of the Charles. All right, up next on OA On Air, we're joined by Frederick Schock, Executive Director of the Head of the Charles Regatta. It's the 55th Head of the Charles this weekend, October 19th through 20th. Big event. Fred, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Hey, happy to be here. Thank you very much. So let's talk about this year's edition, this year's race, the 55th Head of the Charles Regatta, uh, the biggest two-day regatta, I believe, in the world. Uh, You have a tremendous... Uh, level of interest and uh, participation, not just by competitors and their families, by, but by spectators. Um, what's, uh, what are some of the highlights of this year's regatta? Um, you know, we, we are typically oversubscribed every year. It's, it's sort of one of the, uh, uh, the challenges that the head of the Charles has. Is we don't, we don't uh, have the ability to do a mass start uh, the way the marathon can in, in waves uh, because each boat has to be timed individually. So we turn away um, you know, up to 50% or more uh, of the field. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're challenged by, enough, you know, having enough daylight to add more boats. But in terms of um, where we are this year in 2019, we've got some 
uh, foreign competitors coming over, the Germans, the Dutch, you know, will be facing off against the United States uh, men's and women's eights. Um, and then the rest of the field is, is uh, chuck-a-bluck full. The youth events are always you know, highly oversubscribed. The master's events are growing uh, just equally as fast. Um, and there's just so much to see and do at the head of the Charles. It's really um, you know, the fall rowing festival. There's, there's retail shopping on the banks of the river and um, just a, a great festive a uh, atmosphere for people to enjoy uh, on either Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, you know, one, I have to say, <clears throat> different sporting events have categories um, and divisions that, that, that run the gamut, in, including in, uh, in terms of generation and age. But I don't know that there is another event that has such a wide range of participants, literally from, from youths all the way to octogenarians, at one event roughly at the same time over the same two days. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, no, it's true, and I, and I think our founder, Darcy McMahon, used to say that one thing that separates the head of the Charles is that you can have a complete novice or first-year rower competing on the same river on the same day with an Olympic champion. So, you know, that's, that's pretty special. Pretty it amazing. is really special. So I know that um, the sponsorships and companies that really help make the head of the Charles possible – play a key role every year. Who are some of the people we should be looking out for? Um, well, we're very happy to have BNY Mellon uh, Investment Management uh, back for their seventh year. They're our anchor sponsor at the top, and um, they've uh, done a really good job of, uh, of uh, assisting us uh, financially and, and just sort of, uh, you know, spiritually, if you will, uh, keeping this amateur event on track. Um, beneath them, uh, Brooks Brothers is in their 10th year uh, of sponsorship this year, and they do a, a tremendous job of uh, selling uh, retail. They have two pop-up stores on, on uh, a site, and the uh, spectators and the uh, athletes uh, go nuts over their gear. Um, Aston Martin, Delta Airlines, um, uh, Alexandria Real Estate Equities, and Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare round out the, the, big, the big sponsors. Fred, there's already been so much news in advance of the regatta itself about this year's Head of the Charles. Uh, um, and, and, and one piece of news that I thought was pretty, uh, uh, pretty interesting is your new sustainability initiative, which you unveiled a couple weeks ago. Uh, yep. And this really uh, shows uh, the lengths that yourself, with help from your sponsors, the regatta is willing to go to uh, to really uh, reduce its footprint around the Charles River. I think you know all, all major events are, are having to take uh, turn the page here and and uh, own up to the responsibility that we have to um, protect the environment and conserve resources. And you know here we are using uh, the Charles River as a magnificent resource in Boston uh, and and the parklands. Uh, we have a great partnership with the Department of Conservation and Recreation, um, and so it only made sense for us uh, to launch this green plank, if you will, or green initiative, and, and our vendors couldn't have been more cooperative and understanding. They're not going to allow or sell single-use plastic bottles. Um, our VIP tents are using compostable uh, cutlery and, and plates and whatnot. So uh, we're taking a, a giant step this year. We'll have 20 water stations uh, around site where people can fill up uh, reusable plastic uh, water bottles that are donated by BNY Mellon. We're talking to Frederick Schock of the head of the Charles Regatta. Fred, um, you know, 
Sporting events go hand-in-hand hand with media. You've got some terrific media partnerships. You established one last year with the Boston Business Journal. That continues this year. Um, and, 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 and just this week, uh, unveiled a new partnership, a media partnership with NBC10 Boston. They've already begun producing some ter- terrific content. Tell us more about that. I know also that the head of the Charles website uh, uh, produces a live stream. Uh, if, if you're not one of the 250,000 people fortunate enough and smart enough to take in this event uh, on a beautiful fall day and you have to be at home, you can catch it that way also. Yes, absolutely. Um, we have had a uh, sort of a micro uh, production of our own, and this year it'll be amplified by being put on the NBC Boston, uh, NBC10 Boston website, so NBC10Boston.com, I believe is the correct address, and they, they will um, support us by, uh, you know, using our, our coverage um, uh, from one location this year, but it has live commentary, and for people who are not able to make it down to the Charles, as you say, um, this is a way to, to dial in and see some of the fun. Um, it's it's definitely been great, too, working with NBC10 and, and getting some stuff for the hub. And uh, uh, we did a piece yesterday with Matt Noyes uh, for um, uh, NECN, and, and uh, Matt and I took a row together. So um, it's a, a pretty authentic partnership. A couple of tall guys rowing. <laughs> I'm, Absolutely. I might have caught a glimpse of that. That's great. Excellent. So if you have never, if a person has never been to the uh, head of the Charles, what is something that, that you think they should definitely go and see, or what is your favorite part of the weekend? Ah, well, that's a good question. Um, well, I'm a veteran. This is my 29th year, so uh, wow. I would direct people to, um, to take public transportation, first of all, because parking's definitely at a premium. If you want to pay Harvard $30, you can park on one of their fields, but um, take the red line or the green line. <clears throat> and then I, I would say shoot for sort of uh, late morning to be able to check out all the different vendors um, that are along Memorial Drive. We have Reunion Village, uh, which you can go in and, uh, and, and grab a beer and a chicken sandwich uh, on, in front of the Harvard Business School. And then we have a new um, uh, watering hole, if you will, called the Falls Bar. Uh, closer to the finish line on the Boston side of the Charles. So there's just so much shopping to do and so much, um, uh, so many things to, to see with the uh, athletic equipment and apparel. Um, there's just no end to, um, you know, the visual smorgasbord that people will have when they walk along the banks of the river. All right. Hey, Frederick, thanks so much. We've been joined by Fred Schock of the head of the Charles Regatta. Uh, have a terrific uh, race weekend, and we're looking forward to a, a great so event. Luck. All the best. Thanks for calling in. And now, Two Minutes with Tom. Hi, Cayenne. Hi, Tom. Two and a half minutes with Tom. It's (laughs) in week 66. 66. 66. We've done this 66 times now. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. It's, it's just it's as fun now as it was at the <laughs> beginning, isn't it? <laughs> it's always nice to do the show with you. Thanks. And you. Thanks for joining us. Yep. And today's conversation is about thought we talk a little the bit debates about this week or what? Not really the debates, but kind of the, the primaries. And as they're starting to really come together, lots of candidates, lots of already stepped aside. Uh, this week was the fourth Democratic primary debate. There mm-hmm. are many more to come. 
We still have a long road before the primary and the general. But this is when kind of the pack starts to whittle down a little bit, wouldn't, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. In, in fact, the pack has already whittled down almost uh, yes. by 50 percent. And it was were 12, very big. It's still very large, it, it, uh, but it's gone from 24 to, I think, 14. Twelve were on stage last night. Two didn't qualify. But the passageway for so many of these candidates is becoming abundantly clear that there's no, no directional for some of them, and they're going, to be, they're going to be falling back. And so the debates have been kind of a proving ground to see if people couldn't move from a, a second-tier status to a first-tier status. And, in fact, that may have happened last night. Mm -hmm. um, as folks from around the country, even though it was only televised on CNN, but around the country are beginning to focus in on the Democratic primary and who was it that's going to compete against Donald Trump. Um, and so the focus last night were two or threefold. Number one, the perceived front runner on the part of at least the candidates is Elizabeth Warren, and she bore the attack by almost everybody, number one. Number two... Um, which is usually Trump, the sign. It, it's usually a pretty good sign about an emerging candidate or somebody that is being troubling to the others as being a roadblock for their future opportunities. And so they'll go on the attack. Um, it wasn't overwhelming, but it was, it was apparent. And I thought she fended herself pretty, pretty well. I, I think Joe Biden held his own, especially in light of the fact that he and his son have been involved with this Ukrainian situation and kind of central to the now impeachment proceedings surrounding the, the president. Um, number three was, was Trump himself being, being focused in on for the first time, along with foreign policy. And everybody on that stage now is clearly for impeachment. And I guess, it, I guess if there's a fourth, it's that the, the two moderate candidates, I think, emerged with very good marks last night. Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar, the, the U.S. Senator. Um, both were highly articulate. Both, I think, spoke to the regions of the country that they come from. Both spoke, I thought, um, you know, very deliberately about the differences between themselves and Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, and Bernie Sanders. And, uh, you know, it made sense. Um, and I think the papers indicated that it made sense. For example, uh, Medicare for All, uh, I think Mayor Pete was the one that said, look, that's fine, except you've got 153 million Americans covered by their own private health insurance carriers, and they don't want to lose their plan. Why would you force them off that into some global uh, one, one insurance policy when against their will? It, it just won't work. And I, I think she tried to answer it appropriately and strongly, but I think he made a, a, very, a very succinct point. It's, it's the issue that's going to separate her from, I think, being the nominee and the winner of the presidential candidate if she's a nominee. So it's, it's a, it was a tell-all night, and uh, I was kind of taken by it. It's on the road to winnowing down to one single candidate who will be the nominee of the party to oppose Donald Trump, if Donald Trump is still around. That, good point, yeah. So it, it, there's still a lot to come. We have two more debates in this calendar year, um, and then even more in 2020, the and then we start caucuses in February. So I think we'll really start to see the the pack whittle even further and really kind of come down to the final, the final. I know it's been going on for a long time this presidential race, 
been going on for nearly a year, maybe better than a year. The fact of the matter is now we're three or four months from the actual 2020 widowing down of the candidates through caucuses and primaries, which begin in February, as you point out. So we're closer to the real moment than people really believe they are. Yeah. Well, and also for people who might feel like they got, they're tired already of it or, have, or haven't paid attention, now is really the time to either start or come back. I think, I think most, for the most part, people haven't been paying attention. Honestly, they haven't. I mean, and it's not because they don't care. It's because they're busy with family, they're busy with work, and they have Life other things to do with their day, uh, <laughs> like take care of their kids. Um, and, and so they've been distracted by other real-life things, and now they're going to be forced to focus in on the, on the presidential race. Mm. Well, we've got a long road ahead, so more we to come. We have a long road ahead, so if you're tired now, you're going to get even more tired. But if you're new to it, you're going to enjoy what's coming up. It's important. Yes, it is very important. Very important. So thanks, Tom. Thanks, Diane. Bye-bye. That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air. Now, don't forget to subscribe on whatever your favorite listening platform may be. You can also check us out on our own O'Neill & Associates website. Talk to you next week.